How are you guys doing, Shin Imagine family? It's your host, Mark Karaki. Excited to bring you yet another episode of the podcast. This week, I had the awesome privilege of sitting down with Mr. Samir Ibrahim, CEO and co-founder of Sun Culture, which is a company that is right in the crosshairs of fighting climate change. This is a company that is enabling smallholder farmers in rural Africa increase their yields through a drip irrigation solar-powered system. Talk about something that is so much needed on a continent that is majority smallholder subsistent farmer, farmer-led. Samir's story is one of those unconventional entrepreneur stories because all entrepreneurs are in some way, shape or form unconventional. While all his colleagues in university were making a beeline for investment banking and consulting, he chose to go in a very different direction and took a path to East Africa, having been born and raised in North America, to actually work on what he's working on right now, and it's been 10 years in the making. This is a story that will definitely inspire anyone out there who's considering making a journey into entrepreneurship. There is no way that you can, you can plan it out. It just unfolds as you step into it. So this is a fantastic, inspired story of a founder who is right in the crosshairs of working on something super important. So without further ado, I'll let you enjoy the podcast. Mr. Samir Abraham, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, sir. Nice to be here. Ah, long time coming, man. Uh, we have known each other virtually for probably four or five years so, now. So many years. So many years. <laughs> so you have these, you have these, like, uh, these like digital friends, like these internet friends. I have some WhatsApp friends. where we were connected <laughs> a while ago. We never actually met up in person, but we've become like WhatsApp friends. It's pretty funny. It's, a, it's an amazing thing, right? You're, you're, you're virtually virtual buddies. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to actually speak with you uh, about what you're doing with Sun Culture. Very cool Thank stuff. You. And your story you. is just, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a great story too. Just kind of Thank observing you. from afar and what I've been able to pick up. So I always like to begin, at, at start at the beginning, right? Where did you grow up and what did you want to be growing up? So I grew, I was born in uh, Toronto, Canada. My family is actually from East Africa, and they, they left in the 1970s, and they met oh. in Toronto. So I was born there. And then when I was two, they moved us to Florida. So I grew up in Orlando, mm. Florida, which is a really mm. interesting place because it's super diverse. Mm-hmm. My high school had 4,000 people, so really, really diverse. And That's a huge school. Huge school. But it was amazing because I was interacting with people across the socioeconomic spectrum right there were mm. people driving bentleys to my high school but there were also people getting busted from the projects and i was somewhere in the middle and wow. so that was amazing uh it's weird you know <laughs> orlando there's fireworks every day at 10 p.m because of all really theme parks oh, yeah, of the Disney. Theme parks. yeah. Okay. my high school was directly across the street from universal studios so oh, I, wow. it was it was an interesting place to grow up but i i mean i i uh i credit a lot of my ability to be in different scenarios and and assimilate into different places to growing up in Orlando for sure mm-hmm. and I wanted when I when I for there was a period of time where I wanted to be a professional soccer player when I grew up no way um, I, yeah I played a lot of soccer I now, was uh, check this I, out I, you gotta <laughs> check this out the last the last podcast guest right yeah. Brian Mogeni of Wowsy was on the same path and track that was a dream that he had. So if yeah. you listen to that, the, the last podcast on the Chinese Magic I Podcast, will. Talks, I will. he talks about that. that and, and myself yes, as I well. Mean, that, was, that, was, that was my yeah. dream as well. I had I gone cool. to some national trials in the US. I mean, I was, I was good. And awesome. at some point, my, I talked to my parents and we decided to go to school for school kind of thing versus mm. try to hustle to get on the national team, try to do all that. Mm. Um, I'm sure at some point, Oh, when I was really young, I wanted to be a spy for sure. I loved what I didn't even know it was cryptography, but I loved that sort of mm. idea hacking. of deciphering things, hacking things, uh, passing messages secretly, figuring out how to conceal messages. I mean, I, I thought it was so interesting. Um, so I, how, I mean, did that, how did that? Uh, how did that come into your consciousness? I was like, no as a kid, idea. What movie did this? <laughs> no idea. No idea. But I had books. That would, that, would, that would sort of be cipher books. And I've been to a spy museum. I have no idea. 
where that came from. But that was, that was a period of time where I was really interested in that. And then Mm -hmm. my, my parents had a dry cleaners. So, Mm. and all my uncles, so my mom had six brothers, all my, all my dad's family stayed in Canada. All my mom's family moved to the U S. So in Orlando, Mm -hmm. she had a few brothers living in, in Orlando and they all had dry cleaners as well. So I grew up thinking that everyone just like had their own little thing that they did. Like that was just like, right. I thought that having your own little business or little shop, like that's just life. So I, yeah. I grew up kind of thinking like I just kind of do my own thing, um, mm-hmm. which was changed when I went to university. But yeah, it was, I, there was, there was, I didn't know what it was going to be, but I was like, I'll have my own little, I'll have my own thing. I'll be, I didn't know the word entrepreneur, but like I'd have my own thing I would do. Business. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> your, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your own money, money-making mechanism of some, some sort. Something like, yeah, exactly. Fascinating. Listen, I want to dig a little bit more into this uh, uh, soccer interest and, and, and desire. So, I mean, you must have been really good if you're going to the U.S. trials. So did you, did you get a scholarship uh, at uni or how did that play out? When did you, what, what, how far did you take that? So I had, so in the U.S. when I was growing up, there were a couple of ways you could go to the national team. One is, maybe three ways. One is you just get scouted from somewhere and they're like you're on the national team mm. very tough to do there is a mm. formal program called the olympic development program odp and you right. go and you try out for your for your like city so it'd be like you tried out for nairobi and then you would mm-hmm. try out for your state and then you would try out for your region and then so i and then there was there was different paths to do that there was something called the super y league so I played on the Florida team for ODP and did the Super Y League. I played for the regional team. That's where I went to the national trials. You can go that way. So I never, I never made the national team through that. Mm. Then the other path is you can go and play Division One soccer. And right. um, oh man, this was I was just talking about this the other day. I went to a a, a really important D1 trial um, where there ah. were a few schools looking at me, and I just completely. Well, completely botched it really badly oh wow no wow, no wow. idea what happened never happened before it wasn't a mental thing physically just wasn't there and uh, then then it was sort of do you do you go walk on d1 somewhere because then you can go into university and you can just try out for the team when you get there at that point mm-hmm. i i guess it gave me a, a chance to pause and think about what i wanted to do you know you're 17 mm-hmm. 18 you don't really know what you want to do but the conversation right. was you know what i actually I want to go to school for school. Mm-hmm. So I got a scholarship to go to NYU, a nice mm-hmm. scholarship. And mm-hmm. I got into their undergraduate business program and they had a division three team. I was like, oh, this would be fun. Right, let's mm-hmm. go play D3. It'll be chill. Mm-hmm. It just so happened that that year, there were a bunch of kids who were really good. People mm-hmm. like one dude whose team won. Um, they were national champions in the U.S. that year. And he was the starting center midfielder. Also, Cape Town. There's a bunch of really good players whose teams were ranked in the top 10, 15 in the country. All went to NYU, so we had a really good team. But it wow. ended up being that we, like, it was almost as if it was D1. There was just a lot of time commitment. So mm-hmm. I said, like, "Well, I didn't go to school for D1. Came just to kind of enjoy myself." So then I ended up quitting. Because I mm. wanted to do two semesters abroad instead. Got it. But soccer, it. I mean, it's it's really interesting, right? Like I think about the role team sports has played in my life. And I talk about this with our COO, John a lot, who played mm. pro hockey. His dad mm. was the fifth black person in the NHL. And he played pro no hockey. Way. Yeah, really cool. Um, his name was Bernie Saunders, our COO is John. And mm. we talk about the kind of role like once you play team sports, you realize that people of a different class can kick your ass. <laughs> And it, <laughs> totally. and it, right and it like it's, it's a really good thing to just it's a good primer it's a good primer <laughs> for, for life. life right it's a good primer for life and you also realize that sometimes you just play a role and that role can change and when i think about building a business i always think about it when you play sports the formation that you play changes based off of your needs at that time exactly. and that's how i think about organizing a company as well that the formation mm. and the roles may change based off of our needs. And it's just, it's been, a, it was, I'm so happy I did it. Um, mm. Yeah, it was a huge part of my life. I remember senior year of high school, I had like one weekend where I wasn't mm. out of town because we used to play all over the state. Wow. Yeah, it's a big yeah. part of my life. That's, 
that's a first, that's amazing. Same here, man. That's, I actually played yeah. T2. Cool. Go Where? Yeah, so I, 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 I got a scholarship to to a school in West in uh, in West Virginia. Nothing nothing cool. fancy, but uh, cool. Uh, yeah, I uh, I got recruited. Uh, attacking mid. Um, cool. That's, that was my thing. Um, Sweet. So yeah, it was it was it was a big part of my still, life. Do you still play? You know what? I don't. And but I, I dude, me too. I, need... I, <laughs> I I don't because I was for a while too afraid to not be as good as I was before. And I was like, man, I'm gonna feel horrible because I don't I, think you'll I, I don't think you'll suffer from that, man. It no, depends on where, how that, what's your ambitions of where you want to play. I know, I know. who you so play with. <laughs> exactly. I came here and I played with the railways a little bit in Kenya. And okay. but and we have a sun culture team. We should we should do this again. We should play. We should <laughs> we should definitely listen. I was talking to Brian last week and he was like, Yeah, I play at uh uh somewhere here on uh Nairobi Jaffrey's on Wednesday. Yeah, Jaffrey's somewhere yeah, yeah, yeah. On Raptor Raptor Road, there's a there's an indoor kind of thingy over there or oh, turf nice. field, and I'm like, you know what? I think I'm gonna go get some uh, some some cleats and, and get back. I out have there. cleats, uh, like I have cleats, <laughs> like I'm ready. We uh we used to play, so we used to live right next to um, Disney, and Disney okay. has this facility called the Wide World of Sports. It's like mm. the elite, like the elite sports center facility in the u.s so all of these tournaments happen there all the time but because that's such a big space and i lived right close to it and orlando is around there somewhere all the time almost they had so many tournaments every summer five v five six on six seven on seven three on three so we would play all these like non full full uh size tournaments all that we won once we won uh it was a three on three nationals so we won like like the, the three, yeah, but it was like, it's like this just like little funny tournament where it's like, it's a three on three tournament, but it was amazing. Yeah, it was fun. It was, a, it was really fun. Cool. Awesome. So yeah, so I, I'm, I'm excited. I think, I think there's some momentum on in my direction of going back and starting to play again. <laughs> two, yeah. two, two former, two, two former yeah, yeah. ballers back to back sign. on a podcast. It's a sign, man. It's a sign, you know? man. So, so we're going to do it. Um, But yeah, let's just dive back into this. So NYU Student School of Business, I mean, yeah. great school. Um, what was, you know, I guess, what did you study there and what was going to school in New York like coming all the way from Florida, different world? Man, so I studied finance and international business. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, I really credit that school for so much of how I think about the world right now because I studied abroad a lot. So I did a semester abroad in London, a semester abroad in Shanghai. I did sort of these one, two week stints in Peru twice, Argentina, India, and they were all paired with classes. So you would sort of study, do case studies, then go there. And it was amazing. And I was really interested in sort of. That's like, awesome. You no, know, yeah, I was just really interested in like how did these, how does the world work? Like, mm-hmm. why, why is it this way? What is like, how does money move around? How do people move around? What is it? So I, I really learned a lot from there. So that was, that was amazing. Going to school in New York was, I mean, you're 18 years old, living, leaving the suburbs, going to New York, like fun, like amazing. So <laughs> NYU's campus is just in New York, right? So there's no, mm-hmm. there's no campus, just buildings mm-hmm. in New York City mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. best, in what I think is the best part of New York City. And mm-hmm. it's, it was just so fun. Like incredibly fun. I think you grow up fast because you're not in a college campus. You're just like living life in New York. So right. you're sort of like you step out of campus and like you're you're just there. You're in the and world. <laughs> you're in the world, in the big world. And we interned yeah. a lot. And mm. I think like we every summer we were all working during the semesters we were working. There was just a lot of exposure to New York City and life in New York City. Mm. And yeah, I thought it was nothing incredible. Like it, nothing like it. Incredible experience. I I loved it. I thought it was. Thought it was great. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, it's, <laughs> you know, your environment shapes so much of your worldview and in a very yeah. real sense defines totally. almost, uh, you know, your, 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 your trajectory into, 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 into life, so to speak. So yeah, very, very I mean, cool. I think about the people I'm closest with right now. Right. And mm. if I even take the five or 10 people I'm closest with, or even at different phases of my life who I've been closest with, they influence my life quite a bit like a lot, mm-hmm. like they influence mm-hmm. a lot of what I listen to, what I read, what I talk about, where I go. And 
five people influence, if, if five people influence a whole bunch of my life right now, imagine if those five people were different and my life would be completely different. Right. So right, I right, think, right. I think like the choice to go to a certain school, the amount of random things that need to happen for you to get to anywhere that you are, I think is just incredible. I mean, incredible. <laughs> mind blowing. If right. you actually think about it, it's mind blowing. Like if I think about what I reflect on or think about on a daily basis, like often it's something I'd spoken about, or if it's not some culture related, climate related, something I spoke about or listened to based off of a recommendation from someone who I'm really close with. And it's like that, mm. those inputs that I'm receiving, mm. if it was someone else, they could be completely different inputs, which means my entire worldview and the way that I'm in interacting with and observing the world could be complete, like completely different. Like it's yeah. insane. Mm. It's yeah. really, it's really insane. And you make me think about this phenomenon uh, that we live in a time where we are right now, maybe over the last 50 years and, and more, more even recently, I want to say it's probably in the last two decades, where we are completely mobile and more connected than ever before. So our lives are very different than the rest of human history in terms of just think about your school alone. You are in Peru, you are in you know, uh, yeah, yeah. India, you are all over yeah. the world. So yeah. this this window in time in which we live, I'm mentally, culturally, like we're not ready for this. We're not, yeah, we, don't yeah, even, yeah. we didn't evolve, we didn't yeah. evolve through this, right? So it's, it's just I mean, fascinating. But... Technology has gone on an exponential curve, but I don't think our consciousness has, right? So it's like, not, not it, yet. we just haven't, we haven't developed as, as humans in, in the same way. And that's why I don't think we're ready for it, but it is wild, right? Like even today, even if I look at my, I'm just going to look at my WhatsApps right now, right? Mm-hmm. And just look at, all right, so I was, uh, I have a message. I was messaging someone in, the, in New York, people here, here, someone in London, London, Amazing. here. I mean, it's just like all over, right? And you're just in, in like the, 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 like the engagement is so, I think about these back in the day when people were building, like just building the modern world. And like you were talking to the person you were sitting next to on the train or whatever. Like that's it. Right. That is that's your it. single conversation. That's what you're doing that day. Like right. in, like in, like I think about back when people were building, even any any sort of like you're just talking. That's who you're talking to for the day. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm in conversation with forty mm. people. But I I don't know. Like it it sounds kind of nice sometimes. It, it, <laughs> it sounds you know, nice, I, I, right? It, it's 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 a it's it's a better world, man. Um, for yeah. sure. Uh, it's just that we culturally we've not evolved to even know how to what it means we we, we i think it'll take uh, maybe a century before we start to kind of say okay wait a minute what does it mean yeah. to be from somewhere and what yeah. is it who, who are you and so on and so forth anyway yeah too philosophical yeah. for this for this for this <laughs> for this subject matter so let's dive back into kind of like you know uh your journey and and how you ended up where you, where you are so financial uh you study finance and, and accounting or finance and econ international business yeah international business fantastic yeah and then you spent about a year. Now, here's the interesting thing. You won a business competition, or you came second. Se- second in a, place. Yeah. In a, in a business competition, yeah. and which is what you're doing right now, which is fascinating. Yeah. But you spent a, about a year as a budding financial profession. You'd be at UBS, yeah. BWC. <laughs> what was that experience like? And what finally broke the very bored camel's back? And you're like, man, this is not for me, clearly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, growing up as a, a, a kid of immigrants. Mm-hmm. I always say this, like I like my parents always reminded me, rightfully so, of the opportunities I had that they didn't have. Right, my mom was born in right. Burundi, my dad was born in Zanzibar. Like, just different set of opportunities, and mm. they were always like, you have to use those to help people that don't have opportunities. In the religious community I grew up in, in the Ismaili community, there was a lot of community service embedded into the culture. So there was a lot of that, but being a kid of immigrants, like money was always, like, it was a conversation at times. Right. And I think my parents did a really good job of giving me the confidence of being upper middle class, even though we weren't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> so you kind of like put that together. And I was like, man, I want to figure out how to make money and do, do good all mm-hmm. at the same time. Right. So classic kind of trying to figure that development piece out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went to undergraduate business school where all of my peers were going into banking or into consulting. 
all of them, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all of my friends, except for wow. like a, a small handful. So you're kind of surrounded by this sort of, oh man, you got to, you have to work in bank. You have to work you in gotta, consulting. You, you, gotta, have, you just, it, it, that's what you do. You do that for banker, two years yeah. and you do this and this. So my, yeah. my like 10 year plan was to end up doing, first learn how to value real assets, which is why I went into real estate finance mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then go work at an infrastructure fund investing in East Africa and then come to East Africa and do infrastructure. This is kind of like a, you know, go here, move to London, work at a Helios type company, come here and do infrastructure. And that was the plan. So I was like, cool. Good plan. PwC is great because there's a, there's a real estate advisory group. I'll learn about valuing assets. I like real estate. My grandpa told me everyone has to live somewhere always. And I was like, oh, that's smart. So real estate's a good thing to do. So right. I went there. And mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that 10-month plan ended up becoming a 10, a 10-year 10 plan became a 10-month plan because I was there for 10 months. And what got me, what kind of <laughs> broke the camel's back was just, a, I think, an opportunity. Um, mm. My co-founder at the time, this brought this to me. We put in a business plan competition. We were young um, and we thought, you know, I, we thought we would be in and out, exited, retire our families way well before where we are right now just come in do this great work but also there was like there was a like once i started digging into the issues like there were real issues i was like Mm -hmm. man like this is real these are real problems like this is big so i i've said before to folks i don't think it was one aha moment Mm -hmm. i think it's a series of moments over a very long time that led to the eventual straw that cracked the camel's back. You know, you pile up the straws very slowly. Mm-hmm. I don't like that analogy. I don't like animal abuse, but you know, the, you know the the that that old thing. But it's the it's, it's a buildup, right? Be fair. Yeah, right. and it's it's a it's a buildup, and there are so many moments that were that were buildups for me. Right, first is sort of the volunteerism when I was younger, when I was studying abroad in Shanghai. There was a a lot of publicity around China's investment in Africa, and I was in Shanghai. Mm-hmm. So I remember emailing mm-hmm. my, my mom's cousin who still lives in Nairobi with these horrible, 2009, horrible ideas. Hey, I want to <laughs> do this, I want to do that. Some horrible ideas, exploring, coming back. So that was sort of a moment. And then sort of these moments that kind of build up and then opportunity presented itself and we took it. And 10 years, actually, I should do a, a 10-year, you know, because I had a 10-year plan. I should kind of do sort of a 10-year, like a, Introspective so analysis. We'll Introspective, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do it now. We'll do it in this podcast. We'll do it. Yeah, so, yeah cool. Uh, so, so the opportunity. What was the opportunity? And first of all, maybe let's, let's take a step back. What yeah. was the business? How did you end up second in a business competition? What is it? What was your proposal? And what was the opportunity it's that emerged? Very, very similar to what we're doing right now, awesome. using solar powered irrigation to improve incomes, grow more food mitigate the climate crisis and use consumer financing to enable people to afford these types of solutions. Very similar to what we're doing right now. Of course, we've added and evolved, but the actual core thesis is super similar, if not exactly what we're doing right now. It's taken different shapes and it's taken a lot to figure it out, but yeah, very similar to what we're doing right now. Fascinating. So a two-part question here. <clears throat> so yeah. first of all, you've just you've kind of done it. You've done it already, but yeah. you could describe for us what you guys do. Yeah. And then, very curiously, how does a kid in, who grew up in North America, first world, yeah. have an insight to that problem? Because it's not a local problem. It's it's very much yeah. a developing world problem. So yeah. So those those yeah. to, to describe for us what you do and yeah. how you came across that insight to write that business yeah. plan. So understand what we do i think you have to understand what the sort of issues are and the the big the big lens through which we view our work is that climate change disproportionately affects those who are the least contributors to it Mm -hmm. who happen to be smallholder farmers in emerging markets Mm -hmm. and these are folks and families who live on between one and three acres of land they often live off the grid they often live in rural areas and they make most, if not all, of their money by growing and selling crops or keeping animals and either selling those animals or byproducts of the animals. So they're farmers. They live on their farm. 
Mm-hmm. Subsistence farmers for the most part. Subsistence farmers for the most part, yeah. About mm-hmm. two and a half billion people fall into this category. They make up the largest percentage of people living in poverty. And mm-hmm. the reason that they're disproportionately affected by climate change is because they don't contribute to it because they're not using any, essentially, they're, they're emitting very little carbon. And right. the carbon footprint is small. Very small. And, but they're getting hammered by climate change because they make their money by keeping animals or growing crops, both of which need water. They get the water often by waiting for the rain, which is already inconsistent and unreliable. Climate change mm-hmm. is making those rains more inconsistent and more unreliable. So you're getting this large group of people living in poverty getting pushed further into poverty. So that's like step one. Wow. Step two is that if that was you or I, we need to make ends meet somehow. So often what mm-hmm. happens is mm-hmm. these farmers go and they do things like buy diesel or petrol pumps to figure out their water situation, or they go and they cut down trees to make charcoal illegally, mm-hmm. both of which contribute mm-hmm. to the climate crisis. So you go from being pushed further into poverty to then becoming contributors to that crisis that then puts you further into poverty. Mm-hmm. And then as a mm-hmm. third step, because more often than not, people can't make ends meet, you have sort of folks fleeing from rural areas to urban areas and major cities in search of food, right. job, and shelter. And you have mass migration, climate migration. What that does is you have fewer people growing food, which in today's context where, you know, Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the the global food shortage right now, that's a big problem. Mm -hmm. And then you also have a lot of political instability. So you look what happened with the Arab Spring or what's happened in Syria, or you look at Sri Lanka right now or Madagascar, Haiti over the last decade. So what we said is if we can figure out how to improve and protect the productivity of smallholder farmers, we not only build a very big, meaningful business, but we can also help relieve the stress that climate puts on our food, our economic, our political systems. So that's what we started with. Mm-hmm. And because smallholder farmers make their money by growing crops and selling them or keeping animals, we started Africa's first solar irrigation company. So we're solving the water problem first. So we're, what's, we built- what's solar- an, What's solar irrigation? Because those two. So, yeah, they don't often go together. I know those two words. So, again, we're we're starting by solving the water problem for smallholder farmers. And there's water underground, especially Mm -hmm. in Africa. You know, Africa is a really unique place when it comes to agriculture. It has 60% of the world's unused farmable land. So, lots of farmland here. You have Mm -hmm. two thirds of the entire workforce all farmers, and you have a lot of groundwater, water underground. Mm-hmm. It's the only continent in the world that has uh, what is called an economic water scarcity, not a physical water scarcity. So we actually have sufficient groundwater to grow enough food to not only feed the continent, but feed the world. It's just we can't afford to pull it up because it costs ah. money to power water pumps to pump water. Right. Got it. So we started by selling solar water pumps and irrigation. So we have a solar panel the size of me. You can't see me, but it's a human-sized solar panel on the roof of a house. Mm-hmm. And it goes into control electronics that power a water pump. And the water pump is a, looks like this water bottle. It's a cylinder. And it mm-hmm. goes into the water source, any water source, lake, river, mm-hmm. well, borehole, water harvester. More, most of the time, it's a well. And then it pumps water to the surface. And then we cool. use the we use pipes to allocate water through sprinklers or drip irrigation. So solar-powered irrigation using the power of the sun to pump water that's already available to increase yields by two to five times. And what happens awesome. when you increase your yields, when you give water to crops and animals, people make a lot more money. Uh, mm-hmm. We've seen farmers increase their incomes five, six times plus. It's really interesting. During the first two years of the COVID-19 pandemic, there was an organization that was doing surveys of farmers in Kenya, and mm-hmm. they found that 90% of farmers lost money naturally and had to result to a financial alternative like selling an, an asset like a cow. Whereas mm-hmm. our customers during the same period, almost the same number of our customers reported increasing their incomes, increasing their land under irrigation, improving, um, uh, uh, improving their way of farming, feeling more confident against shocks. And 96% of our customers reported improving their quality of life. And it's incredible. So what we say we do now is we're scaling a technology platform that switches rural African farmers from carbon-emitting diesel pumps 
in this climate vulnerable rain fed irrigation to solar powered irrigation, and then on selling additional goods and services. And we use consumer financing, so lending, and very soon carbon revenues to make the cost of solar irrigation less than that of a diesel pump. I love it. That's what it's we do. Awesome. I don't even remember Yo, your second man. question. <laughs> my, my, my second question was, was this? yeah, like how did you, sitting, sitting in the first world, you know, pretty mm. much grew up there. I remember. How did this come up? Where did this, where did this insight come from? The initial one, at least. Initial insight came from a white paper that an NGO wrote about right. uh, a project they did in Benin. Okay. Uh, looking at solar and agriculture and solar irrigation, sort of an NGO basis, a non-commercial. Mm -hmm. So it came from mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. it came from there. Purely there. Yeah, that's where it came from. Yeah. Fascinating. So they, they had the whole hypothesis. They had the problem and the hi hypothesis of the solution. Or... Yeah, you know, irrigation irrigation isn't a new thing. Right. Irrigation is it's how actually civilization developed because once we learned how to divert water, we didn't need to be nomads anymore. So moving from nomadic mm -hmm. to non-nomadic people is just because we learned how to divert water and grow crops where we are. So irrigation was kind of at the beginning of our modern civilization. Mm -hmm. Using solar just happened to become cheaper than not using solar in 2012 where right. you reached what's called grid parity in a lot of countries here where mm -hmm. the cost of solar is less than connecting to the grid That's so amazing. there's a lot of timing things so it's sort of combining technologies that already worked and figuring out that technology is not the hard part it's hard it's very hard and we're very blessed to have the best tech team in the game but it's not the only part of the solution um, it's, yeah, so we can talk about that. But so being in sort of in the US, my exposure, you know, my parents left in the 1970s. I hadn't been back until 2008. I came here for a soccer tournament, actually. Um, nice. But this soccer thing is, is a theme in your I'm life. Tell, I'm you telling you, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> so we got to get back in the field, bro. <laughs> for I know, sure. we do. You let me <laughs> know. Um, there, there was sort of a lot of exposure to thinking about these sorts of problems, but I'd never seen that. I never lived that. So it was purely uh, my original thesis when I was growing up was I was my 10-year plan. I was going to end up doing something like this. Got Why it. not just jump into it now? Got and it. You know, yeah. Mm, mm, listen, man, uh, I have this, we have this, <clears throat> uh, this uh, innovation kind of idea to traction framework that we've, we've built. And we've borrowed a lot from literature that's out there in terms of entrepreneurship, lean startup, and Discipline entrepreneurship, all those books yeah. that kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. give you a streamline. And one of the so we've built it into a framework, and we're actually digitizing that framework, and we're going oh, to cool. be offering it up as edtech to to high schools. I think oh, we dope, think it's, it could be pretty dope. Right? It's called kinetic.education. Cool. Oh, but anyway, cool. the first the first module of that is teaching people how to ask the right questions about any idea, right? And it's the why ask why now, right? And you answered. The why now, because you said the, the cost of using solar, right, to, you know, to power a yeah. pump became cheaper yeah. in 2012, right? Yeah. So in 2010, it wasn't a viable yeah. approach, right? Yeah. Now, the why asked, you know, you and your co-founder, maybe you talk a little bit about, and of course, for you, mm. you are connected to the, to the continent, you know, you had that and you had probably been paying the, attention to that. You had been traveling the, internationally. Yeah, the why, why asked thing? Mm. no reason honestly no reason first mover advantage young we were 23 had time on our hands if i look back if i look mm -hmm. back because hindsight is is very interesting i would say that we had a lot of time to put to it right like we're 10 years first five years of just figuring out product market fit a business market fit everything 2017 we started raising money and building, sort of launching the commercial version of the business. It took us five years to figure out like what to launch. The last five years has just been building it. I feel like we're just getting started now. So I think like Amazing. time was really interesting. That's a very unique thing. I think just like the uh, like naivety. I don't know. I, I I think that now why us is much why us now is much easier to answer. Very clear, Back in the day, right? it was like. We were willing. We were, <laughs> we were, we were willing to we do were, it. We were ready and willing. Have we passport, ready and travel. Show yeah. me what, what, something interesting to work you on. You know, 100%. I think that was a big part of it. 
no one's actually asked me that question before, but I think that was it. It was just big issue, willing. Let's go for it. Amazing. Yeah. And, and the next and, question yeah. I, I, I want to dig into is like the, the arc of the journey, like the different distinct oh, phases man. of of sun culture's development. If you could put them into categories, right? Like how you were just saying the first five years, second five years, that maybe that's it, but I'm sure there's more detail in there. So your first day year in, in Kenya, right? What, what was that? Describe, walk us through that journey in stages, if you can. Yeah. Oof. There was a lot of time in the field, mm-hmm. which I feel if you're solving any issue be literally where you're solving it so we were on farms a bunch market research so it was yeah. a lot of yeah mm-hmm. we didn't have a lot of money i mean re- re- you know we we're very lucky we were able to borrow two hundred thousand dollars total from our okay. families my parents didn't tell me this wow. actually until until later that they didn't have that money to give and they borrowed huh. money from two uncles and my grandparents and didn't tell me that would have that would have been too much. I already the pressure borne from my parents was so high. High, yeah. And they didn't give me the pressure. I put it on myself. We, all, we, it, paid, yeah. we, we we paid yeah. back with interest. One of the best days of my subculture experience so Amazing. far was paying them back. I was just so proud of that. Good for you, Sabir. I we can't yeah. I can't wait to hear about that. You gotta tell so many, yeah. walk us through so this. The phase first, so the first, so first phase, first phase was spending a lot of time in a lot of time in field. So the reason I mentioned money is that we didn't have a lot of money. So we had to we had right. to so there was a sort of first phase of just being being there. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, damn, we need to start selling. We didn't know how to raise, we didn't know you could raise money or raise grants. We had no idea. We started learning that mm-hmm. later on. <laughs> First two and a half years, we didn't know anything about any of this stuff. We didn't know there was donors willing to fund stuff, angel investors, this and that. So, like, man, we got to start selling stuff. That's how we should, that's how we're going to fund us figure we should start selling stuff. So we just like started selling stuff. We started selling. That's the best way to start. That's amazing. Yeah, that's cool. We started selling very slowly. Started selling, we used the money and we're like, oh, you know, we're so backed up. We'll only be able to sell later on. We had to order inventory. So there's this whole kind of mm-hmm. like, how do we cycle money we get from sales into inventory and just keep figuring it out? Mm-hmm. Figure out the business model, figure out the installation process, figure out the transportation model, figure out the support we give after sales support and maintenance. And is this the right product? What's our supply chain looking at? All that stuff. Just wow. figure that out. So mm-hmm. there's like kind of this like period for a few years where like that was happening. Mm-hmm. So I would say like the next two years was that. And I don't know exactly, but I'm just kind of sure. That's fine. That. Yeah. Then we started realizing you could raise a little bit of money, start building a little bit of a team. So we had some grants came up, came in, and then in 2016 we started like we made our we we started hiring like senior people. This is before mm-hmm. we raised equity. Kind of had some grants. Grants are funny because we had all these this money committed, but they're all milestone based. We didn't get anything up front, and it was just like drip feeding. A little bit of money here, a little bit of money there. <laughs> we hired who's our now COO, director of finance and operations at the time in 2016. So it was kind of like, all right, in field, just on farms. We our first pilot was in Eldama Ravine, 80 kilometers away from Nakuru. Wow. And we used to take the Molo line up, get a car. It was just like three or four times a week, like up there. I don't know why end, we didn't how, make I have so many questions. Like, <laughs> how did you end up on these? you're not from here you don't have a network i mean and you're out here helping farmers who and it's a very you know africa is a very networked yeah. society how did you Maybe. end up in the, on the first farm first few farms we did met, you just walk, we met, not walk up and knock on the door or what happened? there was an event in orlando florida yeah there was there was an event in orlando florida <laughs> that post entering this business plan competition a high school friend of mine who was a wealth advisor, Morgan Stanley, it's like, you know, job out of college, was like, hey, there's some like politician that's doing an event in Orlando, Kenya, I know you're looking to do something there, you should come. And it was, <laughs> Rila Odinga was doing an event in Orlando, Florida, at someone's house. No way. So we, go, we like show up <laughs> and we're just like, ah, oh, this is cool. And <laughs> we meet some... <laughs> We meet some MP's brother who's like, mm-hmm. oh, we've got a farm you can use. 
That's how we found the first farm. The Pylons Project. <laughs> Some MPs farm. That's what it was. And then we started meeting people around and around and here and there. And then we just like, that's how we started meeting people. I just um, love how these stories play out, man. <laughs> There's no way you can plan it. Just go no in the way. direction of your dreams and those open up, man. Amazing. Greatness. There's a book that I, I'm not saying greatness over here, but there's a book someone told me to read called something like greatness can be planned. And it's just like the evolution of things and the nodes you have to follow. And there's all of this. So Amazing. that's how we got the first farm. Note to anyone trying to do something, put your pilot close to where you live. It's really, <laughs> really it's much annoying. Better that way. <laughs> it is much better. That was a huge mistake. But anyway, so first phase in field with that pilot, figuring out how to make this thing work. Then it was like, let's sell stuff so we can get some money. Then it was like, okay, we kind of have a business going. Let's hire people, build a team. And then let's like <clears throat> raise equity. We didn't know what that was. Let's raise equity. Mm -hmm. So that, that first period, it was like, we, as, as I look back, I call it like pre-commercial launch, but it was okay. this like five-year period where we actually had launched, but it was like launched because we had, we had to and just tinkering right. things and figuring it out. Right. And then from 2017 onwards, it was like we raised money and we were kind of going. So then, then it was sort of the phase of the business was prove this thing can work in a small way. It's 2017, 2018-ish. And it was like prove this thing can like start to grow. And we started financing that and everything. And then now we're sort of at prove this thing can scale. So now we've launched new markets. We've launched our carbon business, et cetera, et cetera. Amazing. Um, I, I, I just love it. <laughs> I mean, without that first five years, man, you are not no, where you are today, right? No way. And like, if I, were to do, if I were to do something again, I'd be able to fast track, you know, that, five, that six, seven years, right? I'd be able to start in mm -hmm. year six or seven now. But without right. having done that, I wouldn't be able to say that. You can't. And yeah. this type of business is super i mean we're it's super hard right it's like we're right. we're doing contract manufacturing we're managing supply chain we're selling we're financing we're providing after sales support i mean it's it's a mini conglomerate complex it is complex yeah. man <clears throat> and, and then in, in, in a way that's yeah. that's part of that's your moat right i mean the complexity yeah, 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 yeah. figuring yeah. it out putting the pieces together the network it's, all that know-how Dude, yeah, it's it's funny. I'm putting together our next fundraise deck right now, and we have a slide about like this moat. And I'm trying to describe that it's just 10 years of doing this. And <laughs> that's what it is. It, it's, that's, it's, the, that's, it's, the that's, like, that's the moat. That's the moat. Just 10 years, and now we actually know what we're doing, which is great. But it took 10 years to figure out for sure. But now it's like okay, awesome. but now we can put our foot on the gas because we figured it out. But yeah, time is interesting, you know, and it's you, you look, I look at my friends who have started and sold businesses in the US, for example. And for a long time, I used to feel I was less than because mm -hmm. of that. And mm -hmm. I used to feel I wasn't good enough. Am I not a good leader? I didn't even know yeah. what the CEO was for a long time, right? I only started figuring right. that out a few years ago. Am I not good enough? All that stuff came in super hard. And yeah, so that. That was an interesting part of the journey, which was many years going through that process. But then you kind of realize, one, we're all playing, Naval Ravikant says this amazing thing. We're all playing single player, infinite games, mm -hmm. but also different problems require different amount of time and resources. And there's no other problem right. I, would, I would be solving right now. So right now, today, yeah. the journey has been like very, very grateful to where we are. And mm -hmm. just, we're just getting, so there's so much work to do. And I try I'm to so get excited. more people involved in climate. All I'm the guy that starts talking about climate at a party within like five minutes. Like, ah, oh, shit, Samir, again. <laughs> <laughs> we need Samir on Earth, man. This yeah. is awesome. Hey, hey, listen. So I, 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 you don't know this yet, but I, we, we have a fund now investing from Here Ventures. If you look cool. at the bottom uh, right of me, left of you here, that's the, that's the brand. Oh, cool. From Here Ventures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just Yo, raised, I love that we, name. We <laughs> yeah, it was very intentional. Um, yeah. So, so we, we invest in pre-seed and seed. But look, oh, congrats. I mean, I, I'm I'm interested in talking to you about your next yeah. round. I know you guys are going to cool. be Series B or something like that. Series technically Series B. Fantastic. Then let's talk about that yeah. fundraising journey, right? So five years yeah. ago, you guys started putting equity out there. So, yeah. um, how <laughs> much have you raised to date so far? Uh, we have raised. 
uh, 40, about to be 60 million. Um, Total. All time. Yeah. All time. Um, Got it. But the, you know, including debt equity and grants. Um, fundraising journey is <clears throat> really interesting. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> it's crazy. We didn't know anything. And so we started raising some grants in 2015. Mm-hmm. Those grants, we actually, those grants were being drip fed for like five years. And then we started trying to raise equity. Oh man, this was nuts. Tried to raise equity from this guy. We're going to raise a million dollars. And this was the craziest thing. Didn't know anything, right? So we had $3 million in grants that were committed. That's cool. <laughs> so, but it was over a lot of time, right? Right. So right. he's like, I'll give you a million dollars. You evaluated $3 million because you have nothing, but you have $3 million mm-hmm. in grants that are committed. So we were going to raise from mm-hmm. him. And he was a, a solar developer in the UK, an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And uh, the UK ended up changing its uh, legislation around solar subsidies. So mm-hmm. they took down the solar subsidy by like 97%. So his mm. business model didn't end up making sense. And he backed out in a way oh, actually wow. that I didn't appreciate. He kind of lied about it. Um, mm. But so that, so we were like, oh, what to do? Our board chair, who's our current board chair, came in with a bridge. And then we went and raised sort of equity for the first time from a, from a $700,000 in equity. Mm-hmm. And then that was in 2017. Then... I- was that like was yeah. that a priced round? Was that a safe? What was it was a price. It was a priced round with Amazing. some angels <laughs> and a couple of very funds. early for a priced round. Yeah, very early for a priced round. Yeah, again, 2015 didn't know anything. Right. And we go and then in 2018 we raise a convertible note from EDF Group, the French utility. Okay. And then we raise some debt at the end of that year, and then at the beginning of 2020 we close our Series A. Then we close uh, another debt, a larger debt facility at the end of that year. And then we're just closing some mez and extending the debt facility. So the way I think about money is that business like this needs grant debt and equity at all times yes. in the company just for different things. We're even raising grants right now to run some proof of concepts that we can then sort of hope make public and help catalyze a lot more investment into the climate sector. So fantastic. Yeah. That's very, very so now cool. now we know a little bit more about fundraising <laughs> than we did before. But it's, it's and, funny when you look back, you're just like, what are you doing? Exactly. So, man, that sounds like uh, just listening to you, uh, it, it, it makes me a little bit concerned about your cap table, right? Because if you're already pricing <laughs> from the very beginning, what, is it, what does your cap table look like right now? So we've only done two price rounds, right? We've done okay, stuff in okay. the middle. So that's, that's kind of how we've been Got able it. to bring it out. So we're only... We're only on our Series B right now, which is our third price round. But we've done stuff in between to, to help make sure that the cap. So once we did that, we realized that we need to be very careful about not having our cap table be too crowded. So right. cap table is quite clean right now, um, which, cool. is, which is sort of the concern when you start pricing rounds too early. But yeah, mm-hmm. cap table is very, very clean right now because we awesome. raised a mess facility and we did a convert between our seed and our Series A and that kind of stuff. Got it. So we kind of we kind of alternate price round, unpriced round, price round, unpriced round, price round, unpriced round. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a smart way to go about that. And and how did you kind of figure that part out? To advice, how did you guys, you know, get into those insights around strategy for fundraising? For us, it was was having good mentors and good advisors around. Mm-hmm. Some of our early, our early angel investors who are still actively involved in the business, which is amazing. Um, mm-hmm. They helped a lot. And then it was sort of, we looked and we're like, okay, intuitively, we don't want to price around unless we reach our milestones. And we still want to raise money so we can continue to grow. So how do we do both at the same time? Then you start understanding there are different types of, different forms of capital you can raise to do that. You can raise convertible note you can raise some longer term debt there's just things you can do where intuitively like okay i want to keep growing i want to invest in growth but i haven't reached the milestones i said i need to do but if i need if i want to do this thing in two years i need to invest now so i do that so it's a mixture of advice and then sort of looking at what our needs are and structuring it that way now you know what today though Mm -hmm. we Mm -hmm. have Mm -hmm. like a gangster cfo like awesome that like in in Best in the, like best in the game, 
and that that's helped now because you know, for example he's running three different transactions right now and Amazing. he's able to do that and we're able to do that because of his skill set right and he understands and investors trust him a lot and it, it helps protect me and my time so i can work on other things so now it's different than before before we we're just scrambling around trying to put pieces together figure things out yeah <laughs> now we're still scrambling around but it's you know, Henry can, Henry can do it as opposed to the whole team doing it because he's that good. That's amazing. That's such an important skill set, capacity yeah. to have in an organization, especially nowadays. Um, and would love to actually talk about how we can, you know, leverage some of his know-how and share it with the, with the, with the, with the ecosystem, right? I mean, this type yeah. of knowledge goes a, yeah. a long way, right? It makes a he's huge a good, He's a good person to either you know, get into a room for a Q&A or a podcast or something. He's, he's, you know, awesome. he was a standard, he was a standard chartered private equity for 10 years and he nice. looked at emerging market energy deals. So he sat on boards of public companies, private companies, but he's, he's also very unique where he can go into the guts and understand the operations, very unique skill set. He's, he's, yeah. when, when people are interviewing for these roles, I was like, I wish I could work for Henry. Like he's just <laughs> so good. That's amazing. So, yeah. yeah. So we'll have to, We'll definitely have to bring him on and, and, and talk to yeah, him yeah, about totally. uh, some of totally. that stuff and, and maybe get a fireside chat going. Um, so let, let's kind of, as, as we're almost out of time here, maybe another 10 minutes. So let, let's, let's try and see if we can wrap this up. Um, so people hiring, organizational development, mm, so, you know, growing, mm. growing an organization in a very different culture than you grew up. Yeah. You know, what has your experience been with that whole process? So of course, in your first five years, you're probably working with a different uh, talent based than you are right now, right? Henry yeah. is just like a, a superstar. Yeah. What, are, what has been your experience with that? What lessons have you learned in terms of building an organization? It's, it's uh, I, I mean, a company is just a bunch of people with a shared vision. And I have, for these types of businesses where you're solving problems no one has solved before, like in sort of, I mean, all businesses are essentially solving a problem, but ones that are like, governments should be doing this essentially, um, <laughs> right? So those types not, of businesses very not hard. Not and co. Yeah, just like <laughs> systemic problems that are just mm. helping people have basic human rights kind of thing. Infrastructure, You need yeah. really, really, really good people who are like ready Super to get their hands dirty. Yeah. Right. So that's been something that I've thought through and it's just, it's been the most important thing. Like uh, one of my, my coach, one of my mentors once told me, he drew an equation on one side of the paper, he had um, employee experience and on the other side, he had customer experience. And he said, employee experience is greater than or equal to customer experience. And you exist to serve your customers, but their experience will never be better than your employee experiences. So you need wow. to make sure you focus on your employee experience if you want your customer experience to be really high. And that really helps shape like how we think about people mm -hmm. is that we exist to serve our customers. Like service is a big, we serve. Um, strengthening communities is one of our core values. But in order to do that, you have to make sure that your team, the people that have you come on and trusted you to, to work there are solid and happy and feel like they're becoming their best selves and they have a platform to be creative. And yeah, there's a, I think companies are the best place for people to be able to figure out how to be their best selves. Like I fully believe that. And it's hard, right? It's hard scaling that culture as you grow. Culture is the hardest thing to scale. Very so when you're all six people, 10 people, 20 people in an office, it's much easier. When right. you get to 370 where we are right now and a lot of time we're remote because of COVID and we're just launched in two new markets. So when we have split teams. I mean, that, that piece is really hard. So I think that's going to be a really interesting challenge for us is how do you scale that culture? We just hired an amazing yeah. um, director of people and culture who, this is the exact question we're looking at. So how do you scale culture? So that, that's sort of how I've thought about it. Um, but you know, you said like, I'm not from here, right? I didn't grow up here. So mm -hmm. it's just kind of like recognizing that you don't have all the answers. You can't take models from one place and bring them to another place. You've got to spend a lot of time learning and asking questions and being open to being told you're wrong and all that stuff. And just like humans are humans. So you just got to be right. human, right? right. Like, no matter what. Mm -hmm. And just say, look, I don't understand this. Like, can you explain this to me? Or like, what's, 
you know, asking questions. What's the, what's the best way for me to be able to help manage you? That kind of stuff. Just right. be a human about it. Don't think you have yeah. all the answers. Just like right. your job as a leader of building a company is not to have all the answers, just to put the people together, share, have point to the vision and say, I don't know how to do this. Like, let's figure it out. Kind of thing. Right. Right. Yeah. I love that. So yeah. It's different That's... now, right? Because, because mm. the, 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 the folks that are now I'm interacting with on a daily basis are very, very high level folks. So it, it is very different now than before. Um, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Makes total sense. Man, um, how have you changed? How have you evolved as a human being or as oh. a leader in the last 10 years? What, what are some Oof. of the main things you would say? <laughs> do we have another, how many hours do we have left? Like, I'm sorry, we only have one minute to condense that. I've become, I used to do this, I've become this. Like, <laughs> uh, I used to feel really insecure for a really long time. I don't not feel insecure anymore, but it's way less. Um, I used to, I used to feel, (laughs) here's a good one, right? So like, this goes from, used to go from like reading a lot of books of how other people did it Mm -hmm. to, to realizing that we as a business can make our own path. Right. Um, I think, I think building an organization is just putting a mirror in front of your face. You just see all of your blemishes and everything. You're just looking so at your painful. shit all the time, <laughs> right? It is so face, painful and crazy. Face, I still face the pain today, but now it's, I But it's a, it's a phenomenal journey though. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, now it's like pain is part of the journey. And I learned from the pain much quicker than I did before. Before I would just sit in the pain. Like, ah, this hurts. This sucks. Now it's like, let's learn through the pain, right? Let's learn through right. the discomfort. Let's learn right. through this, right? And let's flow right. with it. It's a little bit more, let's, let's be a little bit more funky with it, right? right. Let's, right. let's, let's have a little it's, bit it, more it, of a playful attitude with this because it could be okay. To. It's right. going to be okay. Like, yeah, like if you, like the, the way we interpret our world is our reality, right? Like literally exactly. reality is your interpretation of all the sensory experiences that you have. And Completely if we, true. if we, we have a choice it's hard to, I, I don't believe this all the time myself, but we have a choice of how we interpret things. So like, who knows, right? We're going to, who knows what this is all about, right? right. But I am trying to choose more regularly to interpret things in a positive way. Because <laughs> if, if I have easy. a choice of how I interpret something, I might as well choose the one that's a little bit more fun. Mm, so, yeah. Fantastic. That's, that's, yeah, that's man. <clears throat> Building an org from two folks. Two two immigrants, right? Two, yeah, two foreigners yeah, yeah. in a new country yeah, yeah. to three hundred seventy yeah. people. That yeah. is, you know, kudos to you, man, Samir. Thanks, and man. That's, that's, Thank you. That's a testament of your commitment to to, Thank to you. the to the challenge, and you you will you just you earned and deserve all the accolades that are, Thanks, that, are that you're, you're getting and where you're going Thank and you. the impact you. you have. So we're just really getting started, too, that. man. Like one of the things that I want to tell people who are thinking about this stuff is like, don't feel bad if it takes a long time. Right. You know, one, one book that was interesting, even though I go back and say, don't do things the other way, don't emulate, you know, if, if you spend I'm 33, right. So if I spent 33 years building a bad habit, it might take that long to let go of it. So I still have things to let go of, but you know, I read, um, I read shoe dog about Nike. I was like, amazing book. They, that book it, it was crazy. actually really funny. Cause they were, they were, we, we would run to China to try to figure out supply chain. He was running to Japan before we got to Kenya. We stopped in China for two weeks. So it was super just like trying to like figure out how to slang pumps and bring them in. It's a whole thing. But man, they took 18 years to IPO. And then once you actually take a step back and get out, for me, get out of the Western, the Western way of thinking that you have to do things fast always. Right, right. Not everything can be done that fast. We're really like, and, and the sad thing is, is that a lot of the companies that are grown fast, et cetera, are what's embellished in media. So you're totally. looking at a lot of media. You're looking at PR, PR, press releases that other people write about themselves. All this stuff is kind of showing us that like, if we don't validate do our existence. Exactly. <laughs> but, but it's not true. That's not, that's not everything, not right? True. Like, right, it's right. not true. So for anyone who's looking to get on this journey, like if you can block noise out earlier and practice that, I highly recommend it. And realize that everyone's journey, every company journey is very different, right? Like mm-hmm. if, if I go at this, like if today someone was like, 
And I'm not saying acquisition is our goal, but I'm just saying, for example, if acquisition was our goal and someone said, I want to buy you today for this amount of money, every bad feeling I have would change, right? But that's not in my control. Mm -hmm. So it's like, mm -hmm. oftentimes we like, we, we judge ourselves based off of things not in our control. So what is in your control? Realizing that you want to solve a problem, you're committed to it. And it's realizing it's your journey and go for it. Like, don't, don't it. worry about what other people are the doing. The noise, yeah. Things can change in a second. And that's, that's, not what, that's not it. That's not the journey. So yeah, time, I was talking to a friend of mine, Daniel Yu from Wasoko. And he was, mm -hmm. we were also talking about like, we should talk more about how long it takes to build things. Like, I think we're just getting started with some culture. Like, I think we're just getting started. So like, I think like right now we're starting. And I think it's important to talk about how long some of these things take. And you know what? So that's my, my yeah. public service yeah. announcement there. I love it, dude. And, and you know, time, time has this quality of hardening and being, be, it, it, time is necessary, right? Because, you know, great things take time. I mean, in general, you're not yeah. going to become great over, overnight. There's no overnight success. That's, yeah. and, you know, that just- And that's like, that's not to say, to that's not to say don't. Don't be urgent. Don't move fast. Right. Push, right? push fast. Push hard. Especially if you're if you're attacking problems like like the ones we're talking about here with some culture. It's like you gotta. There's gotta be a sense of urgency. You have to. So it's this balance, right? It's like all of that stuff. Right. Right. Hey, listen. Fi final. Uh, final part of the podcast here. I do like a rapid fire round. Uh, oh, I just cool. say a word, okay. and you 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 respond with what comes first to your mind. Right. Um, okay. So it's, it's got to be three, three, three words, right? So here we go. Okay. You ready? All right. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Africa. Home. Entrepreneurship. <laughs> Sorry, laughing. Um, <laughs> that's a good response. That, good that was my response. response. <laughs> I, yeah, was my, that was my response. That, that's your response? Uh, I, <laughs> I mean. Our laugh is good. People will interpret the laugh however. Yeah. They'll hear what they hear. I think for, for, <laughs> fortunate. You know, it's not awesome. a, I, it's not forced entrepreneurship. So many people are forced into entrepreneurship. I had a choice, and I feel yeah. very lucky for that. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's an opportunity of a lifetime, man. For for yeah. for, for, yeah. for those, yeah. Twenty thirty. Shit. <laughs> Excuse my French. Just, I mean, if we what don't do reduce our, if we don't reduce our car, our greenhouse gas emissions. According to the International Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, this is the mm -hmm. world, mm -hmm. the nations agree mm -hmm. on this. If we don't reduce our greenhouse gas emissions by 45% by 2030, the head of the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, said that we won't secure a livable future. Mm -hmm. We won't secure mm -hmm. a livable future. That is terrifying. It's terrifying. Yeah. And yeah. Climate, climate change is this, this kind of issue that is so big and so scary and so complex that often people can't engage with it. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm on a journey as well right now to help figure out how do you make climate action more mainstream? Right? Right. Like the doomsday stuff is too scary. It's often really boring. It's really complex to understand how do we actually make these types of conversations more accessible and make mm -hmm. the solutions of what people could do in a daily life more accessible. Because like I said, I said shit um yeah is that it's it's going to be really bad it's going to be really bad it's already bad for so many people right but it's going to be it's going to be worse look over here right in nairobi look at that look at kenya the rains like they kind of miss them right there's floods i mean it's just it's really bad so yeah, that's, totally that's my, yeah, yeah that's where the before we started recording i was talking about <laughs> existential eggs that's where it comes from right right hey man listen um as we wrap up here you know thanks for that as a parting shot because it is an urgent time in the history yeah. of, of humanity. The planet yeah. will be fine, right? If, we, if we're wiped out, this planet will keep on rocking. We've had, extinction, we've had extinctions right? before, you know? Like yeah. We've had that. So, so we, we need to stop thinking how important we are and just realize, wait a minute, dude, like, this is, we, all, every, all, each one of us needs to get involved and, and, and find opportunities for, for, for folks to get involved. Like you say, yeah. mainstreaming climate change conversation. For me, I have to admit that Climate change has always been this very abstract thing that I don't have the wherewithal to even tackle of it. Of course, but I'm, evo I'm evolving in that journey and saying, wait a minute, man, you can break things down to how can you actually be part of the solution, 
right? And it's multifaceted and, and kind of getting the word out there. So I'm excited about like, you know, working and engaging with folks like you, Samir, to learn yeah. about what you're doing and say, okay, how can what I'm doing, because we have a venture studio and we work on ideas yeah. in South Africa, how can we get more people involved? And the first thing yeah. I would like to actually look at doing is looking to make an investment with you guys. I'm um, very grateful with that. Thank you. That's very yeah. kind. And, and see if that's possible. And it, look, if I can help you on that journey or anyone listening, if I can help on that journey in any way, let me know because it's the journey of our lifetime. Like our lives actually depend on it. So if I can help in any way, you um, let me know, man. Fantastic. All right, buddy. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you time. so much, sir.